This week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. For 85 years, DU has worked to restore, enhance, and protect wetlands to the benefit of wildlife and people. It's a daunting challenge and one our supporters take very seriously because to them, nothing is more important than the outdoors we all cherish. And it all starts in our local chapter events. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org. DU, a proud sponsor of the Lone Star Outdoors Show and Sportsman Everywhere. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. There's a little Mike in the Moon Pies kicking things off for us on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning into what is this, uh, episode 633, I believe. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. Uh, so thanks for dropping by. I do appreciate it. Um, I've got a great show lined up for you today. And I will tell you all about it momentarily. But first, for those of you who tune in every weekend to the radio broadcast, I just wanted to throw this out there because I don't think I've promoted it on the radio show. Uh, but I have some additional content. It's it's a series of, of uh, interviews with folks who some have been on the regular show, some have not. And those uh, interviews are just completely unique and exclusive unto themselves. But these campfire conversations are available on the website and uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you podcast, um, campfire conversations are available there. I'm trying to upload a couple a month, so uh, just a little bonus content. No commercials, um, just a straight-up conversation with some interesting folks in the outdoor community. So check those out if you haven't already. Um what are we doing today? Let me tell you. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that black rifle coffee out of granddad's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. We're going to spend the duration of today's broadcast visiting with Bo Martonic. Who's Bo? Well, he is the host of the East Meets West Hunt podcast. Kind of a a kindred spirit. Uh, I understand that 
He got into Western big game hunting as an adult, same as me. Uh, you know, elk, uh, mule deer, pronghorn, moose, all that good stuff. But he hails from Pennsylvania, where much like Texas, whitetail is king. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about his uh, home state's hunting heritage and then talk some Western big game stuff as well. Uh, so lots to get into with Bo. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to that conversation. I've known of Bo for a while. This will be the first time that I've actually sat down and uh, had a conversation with him, though. So um, looking forward to it. And uh, I think you guys will certainly enjoy him. He's a very easygoing, likable fellow uh, who's passionate about the things that we all are. So uh, that's what's on the docket for today. Let's do... um, Before we take a quick commercial break, let's knock out a giveaway. I've got a Lone Star Ag Credit prize pack for you today. That includes a cap, a uh, shotgun sleeve for your uh, 12 or 20 gauge for this uh, dove season, September 1st, man. That's when it all starts back up again. Uh, But yeah, can't wait for that. And then uh, we'll throw in, what else do we have? Uh, A backpack from Lone Star Ag Credit as well, and a water bowl for your four-legged hunting buddy. Uh, It's like one of those foldable plastic ones that uh, are very convenient to just throw in your blind bag. So yeah, just email the word. Let's do backstrap today. I'm feeling like I'm going to cook some backstraps here, uh, fire up the smoker this afternoon, but just backstraps to lonestaroutdoorshow at gmail.com. And you were entered into today's giveaway. Uh, also, congrats to, what was her name? Uh, last week's winner. Let me pull it up. I've got the email right here. Megan Godfrey of Grand Prairie, Texas. She was the uh, lucky winner. And it's totally random. A number, everyone who emails in, one through however many there are, put them in a random computer generator. Boom. Computer spits out a winner. And uh, Megan Godfrey won the StealthCam DS4K Transmit that we gave away, I believe it was last week. Or maybe it was on episode 632, but uh, that was a big prize. So congratulations, Megan, and thanks to all of you who uh, participate in the weekly giveaways. Let's knock out that break. Up next, it's Bo Martonic of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. It's one foot in the ether with the LA County Blue. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. If you want to get to heaven, got a D.I.E., you got to put on your coat and T.I.E. Want to get the rabbit out the L.O.G., you got to make a cold motion like a D.O.G., not like a D.O.G. Like a D.O.G. 
Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. We're all set to uh, kick off our conversation with Bo Martonic of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast. Before we do so, however, this segment proudly brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. Uh, if you like hunting, if you like conservation, if you're passionate about those things, there's no group of, of people on this planet who are doing more to protect your rights and protect the species that we all love. And that's all of them, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, people think we're bloodthirsty Neanderthals, but the truth is uh, hunters love being outdoors and in nature more than anyone else. And that's why we that's why we do it, right? Uh, but anyway, you should join us, and you can do exactly that over at safariclub.org. With that being said, let's bring him on right now. Joining us from uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania, a state with a great hunting heritage, it's my pleasure to welcome Bo Martonic. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. My pleasure, buddy. My pleasure. Uh, so how's the weather in Pennsylvania this time of year? Uh, well, it can go, it can go a lot of different ways, but actually right now it's like a high of 85 today, sunny, which oh, nice. typically in, in PA in May, you can either get snow or you can get nice weather rain. It's just, it's kind of, uh, all over the board. So, yeah. but pretty, pretty hot and humid, I'd say. How about okay. down in Texas? Yeah, we're at the point now where if it doesn't reach a hundred degrees every day, uh, it, it doesn't really feel like summer. So sweltering to say the least we had one summer where it was like over it was triple digits like uh 40 something days in a row yeah that's that's insane i i uh, i don't do well with uh the extreme <laughs> heat there <laughs> yeah. luckily we don't get a lot of that but we do get we do get a lot of cold weather here too that's for sure yeah uh, i've been to pennsylvania one time uh i was a kid i went to we had a soccer tournament in hershey okay and, uh, that's the only time I've actually been to Pennsylvania. I think I was probably like in ninth or 10th grade. And then I passed through the Philadelphia airport one time. It was a, uh, it was a Sunday during the NFL season and the Cowboys were playing the Eagles. I think I was coming back from, I was coming back from Canada. It was something, something up there and uh, flew through Philly. So of course I was wearing a Troy Aikman uh, Cowboys <laughs> Jersey because you hear, that Philly fans are the worst of the worst, like horrible people. Yeah. And they threw batteries at Michael Irvin when he broke his, well, he hurt his neck. And uh, so I was just going to see like, if it, and the airport's probably not a great representation because there's people. No. And, and Philly too. That's not a great representation. I mean, that part of the state, I don't spend a whole lot of time there. Kind of, kind of consider it a different part. Um, yeah. The whole like, there's a lot of people from southeastern Pennsylvania, but like I don't know, I don't spend a whole lot of time there, so I, it's kind of from when I do spend time there, it seems like almost two different states a little bit yeah. compared to where I'm. I'm at kind of in the middle of nowhere here. <laughs> I wasn't disappointed. I got a lot of nasty looks and stares though, so it was like, oh yeah, I get it. Uh, but uh, but um, Pennsylvania does have a a very robust hunting heritage. Texas is always number one in, in licenses sold, but we have like 30 million people. And I think Pennsylvania, I was looking at the stats and you guys have like 13 million people. 
and you're not that far behind us in licenses sold. So by like percentage of population, you guys are, I think number one, maybe, um, Wisconsin sells a lot of licenses too, but you're always in the top five in licenses. So in licenses sold. So you guys have to have uh, a really great hunting tradition and culture there. Yeah. And I think I want to say it was somewhere around 750,000 licenses sold last year. I, I could be wrong with that number, but it was ahead of, you know, Wisconsin and Michigan and stuff mm-hmm. like, and yeah, Texas has the most uh, amount of people and stuff there, but deer hunters per square mile is, is the highest in Pennsylvania as everywhere. And the, the hunting heritage is very strong. I mean, hunting camps, which I love that aspect of it is, is strong. Like my family during hunting season, you can find everybody taking vacation at work, being at our hunting camp and spending time there. It's just the, the deer hunting side of things in Pennsylvania is, is uh, very, very strong. So what is a, describe a uh, traditional Pennsylvania deer hunting camp. Okay. So uh, I want to see what it's like compared to Texas. So basically you think of like a one or two room kind of cabin looking thing in the middle of the woods, typically near a lot of public land because people come up like from the cities and they go away to their hunting camp and Mm -hmm. to spend time usually during the rifle seasons, but also during archery season as well. And it's just basically a bunch of family and friends that get together. They may have some bunk beds and stuff in there. Um, Usually maybe some running water, maybe not normally electricity, uh, a place where people like to get together, uh, drink some beer, tell a bunch of stories. And yeah. And basically that's, that's about it. So how does, how does Texas look like? Oh yeah. I'll tell you just a second, but I'm trying to wrap my mind around. So you own the little place where the cabin is that's private land. And then you're hunting public land mostly yeah and they also have like some state like there's some state-owned leases that they'll have so it could be on a state forest but they'll lease the cabin essentially so you may yeah you you basically pay a fee to be able to have your cabin on this land like they've been grandfathered in for a ton of years i I don't know the exact way how all the contracts work but like the one that we personally have is on private land and it's just within driving distance of um, some public lands that we can go hunt or, and also can hunt the, the private lands if you have permission as well. And do you guys use trail cameras out there on the public land? Yeah. Yeah. We use a lot of, well, I, I can't speak for everybody, but my family in particular, we use a lot of trail cameras. So uh-huh. it's, okay. yeah, we use, use a lot of trail cameras and, and like, so yeah, everybody's deer camp's a little bit different. I'd say traditionally most people go up, like we have like the opening weekend of rifle season after Thanksgiving, where it's like a, a holiday where everybody comes up and they shoot their guns in, they sight their guns in, cook a lot of food, hang out and everything, get ready for opening day, may stay. Some may stay the first week, some may just stay the first couple of days and go home. Um, that's kind of the traditional option. The way we've done it is uh, we focus a lot on, on the archery season. So that's when we take most of our vacation, we'll go up at night, hang out, talk about how the day went in the woods. And that's about, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure the, the vibe is very similar to Texas as far as the camaraderie and the beer and the campfires yeah. and everything. And just the spirit of, of being, in the outdoors and, and, you know, pursuing what we love, uh, white tailed deer. Um, but most of ours is on private land. Like, I don't, I don't think like the state lease cabin thing, there's none of that going on here. You, you typically 
if you're lucky, you have an old house, you know, for the, for the average Texas deer hunter, if you don't own your own land, like if you own your own, your own land, then wow, what a luxury. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe a couple campers, if there's no house on there. Um, and, but it's all private. And I'd say you're hunting most people probably 200 to a thousand acres, something like that. Okay. And you're, and you're paying, uh, uh, between 3000 and $5,000 per hunter per, per season. So it's not cheap. No, um, that's, def- that's definitely, yeah. And the farther south different. you go, the bigger the bucks get, like the, the more you're going to pay. Yeah. The more expensive it gets. Yeah. I, I know, I know with ours too, like, um, the, the deer hunting camps are, I'd say they're dying a little bit. Um, one, because, okay. So you have to, the, the camps are becoming more expensive well, as everything is, but like, mm-hmm. so to, to be able to buy one, traditionally you have to get multiple families involved and they all go in on it. Well, then one person's working harder than the other taking care of it, you know, oh, cutting yeah. the grass and, and doing the repairs or paying for things. And I, I've seen that kind of die a little bit, uh, more, which is, I've seen it, it kind of expand a little bit with like Airbnbs and stuff that are out in the, the middle of nowhere, like these camps that people, I mean, it makes sense. You don't have to do all this work all year and have everything built into it. And you can go up and just kind of rent something out for a week and, mm-hmm. uh, and not have all the, I guess all the headaches with it, but it, it is kind of sad seeing, seeing that die as, as, and I remember growing up just as a kid, like it was just every camp. I mean, there'd be hundreds and well, there's thousands of camps in the areas that I live in. I live in the area. Like when I tell people like where I live, everyone's like, Oh, I have a camp there. Not too many people actually live <laughs> here, but uh, most people yeah. have a camp and they, and they come up and it's just, you go through deer season and there's just lights on every camp and deer hanging out on the poles outside. So that, that's kind of the, the vibe of it. That's kind of what I envision is the, the deer pole, like deer hanging on poles and yeah. Uh, and you look at those old timey photos where the hunters don't even have on camo that we're in like red and black plaid, you know? Like, yeah. Um, kind of makes you wonder about, I mean, I love the stuff we have today, but is it really necessary? I don't know. Somehow they killed deer back then. Uh, now yeah. they probably won't as warm, weren't as warm as we are. Right? But, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, it's, it is funny looking back and like, we have some of those old pictures on our camp wall of like, my grandpa and like all his brothers and stuff when they'd come up there and they got their orange jumpsuits on and, and during rifle season or just the plaid blue mm-hmm. jeans and everything. And that's, that's one thing that uh, they said is I've given them some, some newer gear and some of the better gear and stuff out there. They're like, man, this stuff is nice. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know if they would agree with uh, going back to that trend or not. <laughs> blue jeans. I, I those are not warm at all. I don't, I see all those guys hunting in blue jeans in the middle of winter. I'm like, God, it's terrible. <laughs> don't, I'm not, I'm not jealous of that uh, no. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Texas is, uh, we have a great, a great deer, white, specifically whitetail hunting culture here as well. And, uh, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but the question I get the most is, um, how do we find a lease, especially because people are moving to Texas in droves and they're, they're clueless when they get here. Like, we had all this public land where I'm from. What do I do now? Well, there's no public land here to speak of really a few places, WMAs where you can bow hunt or a couple national forests and such, but by and large, it's a, it's a private hunting, uh, whitetail culture. And that's kind of sad, but, uh, that is, that is where we're at. And I've hunted the swankiest 
high fence ranches to South Texas ranches to, I had a deer lease just across the border in Oklahoma where we had a camper, no water, no electricity. It was so bad. Like you could, you just hear the mice running across the floor when you're trying to sleep. My wife never went to that camp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I've, been, I've seen the high and of the highs and the lows of the lows as far as uh, hunting camps are concerned. Um, yeah. yeah. Texas but, fascinates me. It's like, I've never hunted there before, but like, it seems like there's a strong, there's a strong hunting culture there. It just looks different than like where we're at just based off of the land and, yeah. uh, and, and not having the, the same opportunities of the public land versus the, the private, but depends on where you live at, what you, how you just got to adapt to it and what you want to do with it, I guess. But you're, you'll still see the, you know, the same thing, family, friends, and the spirit of the hunt. Uh, yeah. that's really what, and it's as much about just getting away for a lot of people as it is actually killing a deer. That's just gravy. Um, what about, uh, what about turkey hunting in Pennsylvania? So turkey hunting also has a pretty strong tradition here, but, uh, it seems that in, well, at least in like, so the area, just to give you like a picture, like the area that I live in is, is there's no farm fields or anything. It's just big timber Appalachian mm -hmm. mountain type. Some of it's really steep and rugged. Other parts are just more rolling, but big woods style um, things. And the, the turkey population over the last 10 years has really declined a lot. Um, it's a struggle to, to find turkeys for the most part. Um, I remember when I was, when I was a kid, I would get two tags because you can get two tags in Pennsylvania and be able to fill them like no problem. There was just turkeys everywhere. And then as, as I've grown up, like it's, I don't buy, I don't even buy a second tag. And if I do, I don't even plan on filling it. It's just, there's just not, there's not oh. that many turkeys out there. And I spend a lot of time in the woods scouting for deer and I rarely get turkeys on my trail cameras being able to, to find them. I mean, they're there. It's just not, not as prevalent as they, as they used to be. That's for sure. So why do you think that is? Uh, and I had on uh, Cameron Weddington a couple of weeks ago who wrote this article in Outdoor Life about reaping. And he's basically blaming the practice of reaping for a decline in turkey populations. Uh, I don't buy that. And I don't believe that you should tell people how they can or can't hunt. Uh, it's an interesting opinion. It's his opinion, not one I subscribe to. Uh, is that, is, do you think that that is why you've seen a decline in turkey populations um, in your home state? No, because one, one, it's illegal. So it's oh. illegal in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so that, that makes that answer pretty easy. Well, that, um, well, then that does make sense because if, if everyone's hunting on public land, like I, I do, yeah. the only thing that he brought to the table that I was like, uh, okay, maybe that is valid. Um, uh, certainly not going to tell people what to do on private land, but if people are getting shot because they're all hunting public land and you're calling up on each other with Turkey fans, I, I get it. Yeah, I, I don't, um, I wouldn't, even if it was legal, personally do it, not, not because of the ethics behind it, more so just from the safety side of it. Mm -hmm. That'd be my personal uh, decision in Pennsylvania not to do that. Yeah. Uh, I've known of people getting shot of just in general. I mean, you're not even allowed, you're not even allowed like crawling up on a turkey in Pennsylvania. Like it's pretty vague how it's written, but you basically have to call them into you. Like you can move into a certain position and then have to call them into you. You can't be moving on them. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, I, I, I don't think it has really anything to do with like over hunting or anything in Pennsylvania. I do know there's parts of PA and some of the farm country where the Turkey populations are still thriving. Um, I'm just speaking mostly from what I know. And 
the predators have definitely, I mean, that's, that's an easy one. I don't know the, the actual numbers behind it and if that's actually legit, but there's so many more fishers, uh, now coyotes, all these different, um, predators, I guess, that are, that are in the woods, uh, then that weren't, uh, here. Well, there's no the, fur the market that, anymore. No, right? there's nobody, there's nobody right. trapping. There's yeah. not, not any of that. I mean, I, I used to, I never saw fishers before. I see them out of the tree. Now they're on almost all my trail cameras. They're everywhere. And, uh, so I think that the predation has a little bit, uh, to do with it. That's for sure. Especially just, you know, and even in the raccoons and stuff, being able to get their eggs, all, all yeah. of that, I think has, has a play in, in, in it. But I, I don't, I haven't done enough research on it to really give like a strong opinion one way or another why that's that's the situation well as a as a nation our agricultural practices have certainly changed and that lends to an increased number of uh, you know here's a buffet of corn okay yeah you're gonna have more raccoons you know yeah uh so i think and then they're one of the biggest nest predators on turkeys Uh, so that certainly plays into it uh and the lack of of you know People used to tell me they could get $25 for a coonskin uh, cap or, or pelt, tanned pelt, uh, 30 years ago. It's not, you're losing money by the time you, you flush yeah. it out and tan it now. It's like, oh, here's your $5. Well, that wasn't worth my time. Can't no. make a living doing that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely changed. And, uh, and ground nesting uh, species are, are the big losers for sure. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll touch on CWD and uh, find out if that's prevalent in your part of the world and then move on to bigger things that we both enjoy like elk hunting. Uh, That segment proudly brought to you by Mossberg Firearms, America's oldest family-owned firearm manufacturer. They've been uh, around for over a century. So whether you're looking for a rifle, shotgun, maybe a 9mm pistola, they've got it all. And you can find their entire lineup of firearms at Mossberg.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. She said, hello, country pumpkin. How's the frost out on the pumpkin? I've seen some sides, but man, you're something. Where'd you come from, country pumpkin? Hey guys, Cable here for Cryo and More, the one-stop feel-good shop in McKinney, Texas. I've been going there for over a year now. All your holistic healing needs with cold, heat, and compression therapy services. And these services, they're the fastest way that I've found to reduce inflammation and to get to the root cause of pain. You don't need to be in pain, though, in order to benefit from these services. Cryotherapy helps with burning calories, optimizing sleep, boosting energy, and much more. I can tell you that's true because I feel like a brand new man every time I get out of the cryo chamber. Uh, Plus, compression therapy helps promote healthy blood flow. Come in anytime before 1 o'clock, 1 p.m., Monday through Saturday. Say the words cold outdoors, and you'll get $10 off your cryo session. That's cryoandmore.com. Tactical Skeleton Firearms specializes in custom AR-10 firearms. They're best known for their AR-10 308 pistols. Also, dual-caliber AR-10 rifle systems and dual-caliber AR-15 takedown pistols. Tactical Skeleton specializes in custom Cerakoting engraving, and they'll custom laser-cut the foam insert inside your hard gun case. They'll also take on any exotic caliber build offered on the AR-10 or AR-15 platform. 
precision machining and hand-built quality guaranteed by a lifetime warranty who does that get free shipping on your order when you visit tacticalskeleton.com today hey y'all it's jeff foxworthy and thanks for listening to my buddy cable smith on the lone star outdoors too many horses i need to ride left not enough time Too Many Horses, the name of that one from Sonny Burgess, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by our friends over at Mossberg. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here. We're still visiting uh, with fellow big game hunter and podcaster Bo Martonic. We're going to get back into that momentarily. This segment, though, is proudly brought to you by Vortex Wear. I was actually out doing a little uh, kayak fishing on the Brazos River outside of Mineral Wells uh, this past week. And that Sun Slayer is, it's irreplaceable. It's necessary. It's a necessity. That's what it is. It's a necessity because it keeps you cool while protecting your skin from those harmful UV rays that the sun's putting out in that uh, 105 degree Texas heat. Check it out. It's the Sun Slayer. And you'll save 20% off your entire Vortex Wear order with that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out. All right. Well, Bo, let's talk CWD. Uh, it's something that, you know, there's a lot of fear-mongering in Texas, but knock on wood, um, it's not something that we've really had to deal with on a large scale. A case here, a case there, both in high fence uh, situations and out in West Texas uh, on the open range. But I know other parts of the country really struggle with CWD outbreaks. What's it like in Pennsylvania? Not not in my area. In parts of Pennsylvania, it's getting a lot of uh, attention, but not not in the area where I'm at. So, And also in the area where I'm at is where the Pennsylvania elk herd is. Uh, so that's a big scare. Like it's a lot of talk about CWD getting into the elk herd, wiping that out and having all these things with it. But uh, it's... It hasn't been uh, a strong, I guess, talking point in, in a lot of these areas, but in Pennsylvania, as uh, in totality, uh, it has CWD has been affecting, uh, been affecting some of the deer herds. Not like some of the areas like Wisconsin or anything that uh, where you see more about it, but not as not as much in Pennsylvania. It's kind of similar to here. Um, we have a few cases every once in a while, and sometimes they're on a high fence ranch, and then. Texas Parks and Wildlife wants to come in and eradicate the whole herd on that ranch and do surveillance within, you know, 10 mile radius. And, um, that's fine. Uh, it sucks for the landowner. I, I understand it, but mostly in Texas, it's big scare tactic. Like, and, and I know it exists. I'm not decrying that CWD is not a thing that it can't negatively affect a deer herd, but we haven't seen it here. Um, that's for sure. Not, not like a lot of the, uh, the Midwest has. Um, yeah, they, they did. They did find like a case in a in a high fence place close to here. And and so then they went and they took like the the national forest and they don't allow baiting in the off season anymore. So you're, you're never allowed baiting as far as like putting food out during season, but you're allowed to outside of hunting season within 30 or outside of 30 days of it. You could put out minerals, you could put out corn, whatever. Um, and now they shut that down for one year that just started this year mm. um, because of the, the scare with it. And it, so I, 
I don't necessarily understand how that would uh, would help the situation. Um, but yeah, that's one of the one of the things that they've done recently for CBD specifically. Mm. Talk more about that elk herd because um, I've read articles and stuff about the the success from that. Um, I guess reintroduction of, uh, of elk in Pennsylvania. Were there uh, native to? Yeah. So the, the elk herd in Pennsylvania is, has grown a lot and is very strong and they've kept it, they've kept it in a pretty, uh, like they kept it in one area basically. And I'm not sure exactly how they're doing that, but they've kept them kind of in these mountainous regions, some of the steep country. Um, and it, it's thriving. I mean, like the, the epicenter is a little town called Benazette. And if you go there really at any time of the year, there's elk everywhere in people's yards. And they oh, almost wow. look tame. They almost look tamed, like as far as around the around that main town. Once you get out into the state forest and stuff, they act a little bit more wild. But it's um it's it's doing really well. I actually had the, the head elk biologist on my podcast uh, a couple of years ago talking about and it's good. I mean, they're, they're opening up hunting opportunities. They've been doing that for the last, I think it's almost 20 years now that they've had mm-hmm. tags, but it just keeps increasing. They've opened up more seasons. They opened up an archery season a few years ago, a late season, uh, January hunt, in addition to their week long rifle hunt. Um, so there's, it's very healthy. Um, it's known for having some of the biggest bulls in the world, um, that, that are here. I mean, if, if you draw a tag, there's a good chance you can shoot a bull over 400 inches. Um, you know, to, no matter if you go with an outfitter, if you don't, there's a lot of big bulls. When I get them on my trail cameras, it's like, it's a phenomenal. Have you ever gotten a tag? I have not. No, I've been putting in since the beginning and building points and I haven't, I have not drawn a tag so yet. As a resident, like how many points do you need to be like, okay, I, I have a good shot. Uh, it, it's real. So the way they do it is like a bonus point system. So they square it. So say you have two points, you get four ta- or chances thrown in the bucket. And I believe I have like 14 points, mm-hmm. which the, the, the maximum is maybe 19 or 20, something like that. My dad has a maximum he hasn't drawn yet. And there's people that like their first time they'll draw. So it's not, the odds aren't, aren't very good uh, for it. And I, I only put in for bull tags. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that could also, if you, if you put in for a cow tag, you have a little bit better uh, chance of, of being able to, to get that tag. But. Oh no. Um, Bo just told us he's a trophy hunter. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> me too. No. I, well, it, yeah. And, and the thing is, it's like, if I'm going to spend all this time doing it, I go out West and I hunt out there. If I, if I want to get meat, I can do that. And I, I hunt deer tags. If I want to get meat, I can shoot does. Like I'm not, too concerned about that so if i want to shoot a bull i want to shoot a big bull in pennsylvania and that's oh 100 dude that's that's just the way i feel about it so my my uh elk hunting buddy and i who we we host another podcast is a little more of like a political exploration but uh he is he doesn't care he's like i'm 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 shooting the, the first legal thing that walks out and i'm like dude we are packed in seven miles and it's day one of a seven day hunt and you want to shoot a cow elk and then have me waste two days of my hunt, packing it out 14 miles round trip. I was like, just chill on the, the cow shooting. <laughs> and he has his own, he has his own ranch in South Texas. I mean, he could shoot does in the, in until he's blue in the face, you know, it's like, oh. yeah. 
I think he's just more trigger happy than anything. He just wants to put an arrow in something. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not interested in that seven months. I've got a freezer full of all kinds of wild game, uh, fortunate and blessed. You know, I'm thankful every day for that. Um, but no, I'm not, I'm not packing out a cow elk seven miles. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I go like for me, it's very situational. Like there's places where I'm like, I'm only shooting a big deer or mm. you know elk or something. And there's other hunts where I'm like, okay, any legal one, this is what I'm going to be happy with. Um, but usually when it comes to like a cow elk or a doe or something, I'm, I'm going to make it, try to make it as easy as possible uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> for those situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's just me personally, the way I look at it, but every, every hunt's a little bit different. Like in Pennsylvania, when I'm hunting deer, like this is my home state. I spend the most time in it. I'm usually waiting for a, a bigger deer. And then when I went to New York last year, it was like first legal buck that I see. Mm-hmm. I'm shooting it and that's what I did. And I'm just as happy with it. it just, right. it doesn't, I don't have like a, a one set stone for whatever I do, I guess. Oh, sure. I made myself sound like a total snob. I'll, I'll shoot the first five by five that walks in by like <laughs> three or four. I'll shoot a, a three by four. I don't know if I'm going to shoot a spike, but uh, maybe I don't, not if I'm seven miles in. Um, but yeah. like you said, it's situational. If it's a place where you could get a, an ATV or a truck to the animal, uh, by all means, I would shoot a cow elk, you know, um, you and I, it sounds like, sounds like we do a lot of traveling out West, which also changes the game on getting that meat back home and, and yeah. there's, uh, logistics that go into that. But so, Bo, before we go any further, we, we do need to take a second here and just say thanks to go wild, uh, for getting us hooked up and all that they're doing to provide a, a, censorship free environment for hunters and anglers and conservationists alike. Uh, and they've got a new feature. Now you can post to Instagram and your content will still go directly to go wild as well. Uh, so that's a pretty cool new function of the platform. But, uh, have you noticed that your, your social media stuff has kind of gone in the crapper of late? Cause I, I mean, mine is, I mean, I'm always shadow banned, but it's like, in, uh, engagement and uh, accounts reached. I mean, they have put the hammer down, it seems like, on a lot of the hunting industry of late. Yeah, I know. I've seen that so much across my social media platforms. Like, it's been crazy. And at first, I, I attributed it to like just being outside of hunting season and people not paying attention to as much. But social media doesn't really work that way. YouTube's a little mm-hmm. bit different, but like, you know, your Instagram and Facebook and stuff, it's just, my engagement went way, way down, uh, compared to where it was. And that's why, yeah, I, I like platforms like go wild. You that don't have that censorship, don't have any of that. That's yeah. why I signed up for it four or five years ago or whatever. And just being able to have conversations with people and it's not based off this, this crazy algorithm. And I mentioned the word gun and all of a sudden everything's thrown off and, and, uh, you know, for the next three weeks, nobody sees my stuff. So yeah yeah no um uh, it's been awesome to see how much go wild has grown in the uh, what, have, what have they been around five years now something like that brad's uh i think we first started talking probably five years ago and uh and how they've been able to build it and then add the online store and um i i wanted to believe in it I was a little skeptical because you never know how the how those outside platforms are going to do uh, but Go Wild is the only one that I've seen that's actually been successful. There's been others that have tried and failed. Uh, so they have a whatever the formula is, whatever the secret is, uh, they're doing a great job. 
Yeah, no, they are. And I, I think Brad just has like a really good mindset and he's very driven on the fact that he hates social media. So he created a social media platform. <laughs> right. And uh, so like, I, yeah, last I time I that, talked to him, he was like, I deleted my Facebook and I very rarely get on Instagram. I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was just talking to him the other day and we were we were laughing about that a little bit. But like how when he gets fired up about something, he kind of creates that solution to it or what, you know, he's actually doing something about it and mm -hmm. with within Go Wild. And I think that's I think that's really cool to be able to have that. Yeah. So if you're not on Go Wild, I mean, I, here's what I had today. Uh, a woman jump on my Facebook page and say, yeah, hunting is just a way for you guys to cover up the fact that you have micro penises <laughs> you don't get that on go wild that kind of abuse which you know i think it's funny but <laughs> they won't see that stuff on there no not um, no i haven't yet we're going to take a break when we come back there is a law on the books in pennsylvania that i, I can't believe it's still a thing in 2022 we'll discuss that and a whole lot more next that segment brought to you by big and j whitetail attractants i like the bb squared but They've got an entire lineup of whitetail attractants. They work. My kids swear by them because they know as soon as we put it out, boom, there goes the cell cams firing off. Dad, let me see your phone. Let me see your phone. What's eating the Big and J? You can find it all at BigandJ.com or uh, head over to Tractor Supply, Walmart. Heck, it's everywhere. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Well, the sheriff never came calling and no judge ever gave a damn. Turns out no one gonna miss a dog and a coward man. So baby, drag him to the river where it runs wide and slow. Put him face down in the water and they let that fool go. They let that muddy waters carry her blues away. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However... There's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Said ain't so said ain't last call. A whiskey on the rocks and Adderall A whiskey on the rocks and Adderall We're no different than the neon lights We turn us on, we stay up all night One of my all-time favorites there from American Aquarium bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. We're still visiting with East meets West Hunt podcast host Bo Martonic, and we'll uh, we'll get back into that momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. It's not too late; you can still get that big chingone if you're planning on introducing your kiddos into deer hunting, hog hunting, whatever, any kind of of blind hunting this fall. There's nothing better than the big chingone. That's exactly the playbook 
that I used is get a big chingon, get the kids outdoors. It, it's got carpet, it's got cup holders, it's got shelves for their snacks. Keep some quiet and you can still hunt and take them with you, which is, uh, that's the key because they are the future of our pastime, this, uh, this way of life that we all love. You can find the big chingon at allseasonsfeeders.com. Um, Bo, something crazy that I look at and be like, that, that's just insane. Pennsylvania still doesn't allow Sunday hunting. Yeah, Pennsylvania doesn't have Sunday hunting besides the fact still. that they just still, they've opened up three days now. We're allowed three days of Sundays. Um, the last so you guys Sunday, go deer hunting for a weekend and the hunt starts yeah. Friday and ends Saturday. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> terrible. And yeah, exactly. You know, we're a lot alike, I think, in the fact that we live in states with incredible hunting tradition, uh, but we still travel west every year to pursue other species. And I think that's kind of like the uh, the origin of East Meets West Hunt Podcast. So talk a little bit about uh, what what you do uh, and, and, you know, why you started this podcast. Yeah, so I, I started going out west in 2016 and I had really, it was because I read a book, uh, Cameron Haynes wrote a backcountry bow hunting. And I was like, man, this sounds really cool. And the fact that I just thought that you had to have a lot of money and all these things to be able to go out West. I just watched the stuff on TV and, and, and no one in my family ever did it. We were, you know, big hunters, but never went out West. And I was like, I'm going to start researching this. And that was right when podcasts were really starting to get bigger with other hunting podcasts out there and helped me a lot with being able to, to figure it out. But I felt like there was like this gap in, um, the, like the logistics and the planning side and everything for someone coming from the East or the Midwest or, you know, anywhere else other than the West to be able to go there. So after I started going, I started planning these hunts and going on them on my own. Uh, I realized it wasn't that difficult to plan the trip, the hunting, that's a different story, but mm. the actual planning aspect wasn't wasn't as difficult. And I, I wanted just to continue to learn more specifically about elk at the beginning. And I wanted to talk to uh, people that were highly successful at it as I was new to it. So I, I didn't have that, that ability. And I was working in an archery shop at the time, part-time and got to know some different people um, in the industry that had, you know, a lot of knowledge um, with Western hunting and everything. And Anyways, I, I decided that I wanted to start a podcast to be able to help people um, be able to plan these Western hunts and plan adventure hunts and do that by me selfishly getting to talk to uh, some of the you know, best people in the world at it and learn from myself, but also be able to help others in that in that endeavor. And it really I'll back up for one second. Like it started with I wrote I wrote an article. It was, I wasn't a writer at the time at all. I just wrote an article for myself on my first elk hunt. And my brother came up with the name East meets West. I titled it and I submitted it to an online journal, the journal mountain hunting, which is a Canadian publication. And they, uh, they ran it as a subscriber story. And when I shared it on my Facebook and Instagram, I had a bunch of people that were like, Oh, you know, that's, that's really cool. I wish I had the time. I wish I had the money to be able to do that. I'm like, well, it's, it's really not that hard if you plan for these things, you know, whether it's the budgeting aspect, whether it's the time off or how, how you can make that happen. So that that's kind of where the idea stemmed from. And 
and then it just kind of grew from there. And I started, you know, interviewing these people, helping from the, the basics standpoint. And then as I grew with doing more Western hunts, you know, that kind of evolved a little bit more. And in addition to that, the podcast, I didn't, I didn't have this in the plan at first, but when I started talking about the big woods, whitetail hunting that I've grown up doing, that's kind of like my bread and butter, what I've known doing and my family's uh, done forever. That was like, that was huge because there was no other media out there at the time that was focused on anything other than farm country uh, um, or, you know, different things like that. And and the whole Appalachian Rangers, five and a half million hunters that go through that strain. And there just wasn't information out there. So I think that that was something that really related to people. And I like talking about because it's uh, kind of mixes a little bit of like that adventure Western hunting with the whitetail side of it when you're, when you're going in. So that's, that's kind of where the basis of the podcast came from. And so is elk still your favorite thing to pursue out West? Yeah, I'd say it is. Mule deer is, um, is new to me yet, but that I have a feeling that's gonna, that's gonna climb up there quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it took uh, me, it took me four years to kill an elk. So it took four years out there before I killed one, uh, with my bow. It was a, it was a struggle. It was like, 30 some days total. Um, by the mm-hmm. time I finally got it done. And then my fourth year, the first day of a 14 day trip, I ended up killing an elk. So that was, oh, <laughs> that, awesome. felt, that, that felt good. You know, you're talking about earlier with, uh, like the, the spike and then five by five and stuff. Well, I was, um, I had a, a spike coming out, following some cows and a five by five right behind it. And this was the first time I took uh, a videographer on a hunt with me and he was behind me and he's like, man, I thought you were going to shoot that spike. You were like, had the body language. I, said, I was thinking about it. Like I was, he's like, but the five by five was right behind it. I said, I know. And that's, I, I did wait, but I was, I was highly considering it after going that many years without, you know, being able to, to kill something. So <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. I, I missed, I think my first elk hunt, we're kind of on the same timeline. Uh, I did a solo trip to New Mexico. My buddy backed out like the last minute. And so I, I was like, well, I'm still going. My wife's like, right, you really want to go in the back country by yourself? I was like, it's happening. So you, ma- you wrap your mind or, or your, your mind around it, however you need to rationalize that. I'll take a satellite phone. I'll tell you every day that I'm still alive. But other than that, see you later. And, uh, yeah, I called in an elk on that first hunt somehow, just dumb luck, I guess, and missed him. And uh, and then the next year ended up shooting a five by five. Uh, I think that was probably the highlight of my hunting career. I've killed three now, uh, two in New Mexico and one in Colorado. And then I've had, a, I was like three out of four. So I missed, then I had three successful seasons in a row. And then I've, I've, uh, hit rock bottom i've either wounded or missed like three years in a row or something so i gotta get back on the on the straight and narrow and uh, yeah and then last year i shot um a six by six just like three inches high and i i I ranged the tree where i thought he was going to walk in front of and i've told the story on the air before but you haven't heard it and so i've ranged it 40 yards there's the tree here he comes uh buddy's calling for me and I mean, he's broadside and I just smoke him and you can see the arrow three fourths just buried in him. And he's like, dude, you nailed him. And I was like, yeah, but when he turned around, I was like, that arrow was just a little bit higher than I wanted. And long story short, when he, you could see his tracks in the dirt where he turned and whirled and it was 32 yards away. So he was not, he was in front of the tree 
and uh, mm. I shot him with a 40 yard pin at 32 yards and we found a little blood here and there and he you know those things are so tough I'm sure it, it, it annoyed him but he didn't die and yeah I think we found that same elk the next day just on the next ridge over with a bunch of cows couldn't confirm but the way that he ghosted us once he heard our calling I think it was I think it was him <laughs> yeah they're so tough like I I I kind of joke about it where like, as like, if I got shot somewhere like that, I'd be, I'd be laying flat down on the ground where somehow they're just them and deer, just they're tough, tough animals. And, you know, like my first, my, the first three hunts that I had, I had opportunities on every one of those hunts. I just screwed up. Like it was just rookie mistakes of, you know, being in bow range, not taking a shot when I should have, or, you know, not drawing at the right time, Mm -hmm. just stupid things like that, that just constantly, plagued me with it and uh yeah it definitely brings you back down to earth real quick and, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's um, I, that's why i love i love western hunting it's just it's hard it's fun but it's it's fun at the same time like when you're out there i think like most of the time you're like you know this sucks and then like you're driving back and you're like can't wait to go out again and yeah. <laughs> well, I, I am envious of the people that you know the guys that live out west because they can hit a trailhead and be an elk for an, in an afternoon hunt and then yeah. go back and sleep in their own bed for us. It sounds like you you're willing to invest two weeks. I usually go about seven to 10 days and, and that's it. Like I don't, I do one elk on a year. So mm-hmm. to, to try to make it happen in a seven day hunt, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, but, uh, but we also have this great whitetail hunting that, that most of them don't have. So, uh, it's, uh, I like to, I like my sandbox, but I like to go play in theirs every year. Yeah. Some of them don't like that we do. And like uh, New Mexico right now is trying to pass legislation to make bighorn sheep a resident only tag. Like I own that. That's federal land. That land, that land is in New Mexico, but it isn't theirs. It's yours and mine. Yep. So don't tell me that I can't come there and hunt bighorn sheep. And I, you know, am I ever going to draw that tag? Probably not because it's straight lottery, but I still put in every year. Here's, I kind of throw up a little when I give them the three thousand oh, dollars when I yeah. apply. <laughs> but yeah. luckily, you get it back minus the the application process fee. Like yeah, that that hurts because they they hold on to it for a little while. They uh-huh. don't just like uh, you you have to pay you you have to pay your credit card statement before they give it back to you. So yeah. you got to be prepared for it a little bit. And that's Wyoming just did that where they I don't remember the exact details of it, but I want to say they like dropped down their non-resident uh, allocations by quite a bit. And it really hurt people that had been putting in for years. I know a buddy of mine had been putting in for, I don't know, he had like 18 points for sheep and stuff. And he's like, I'll never draw it now based off of how far they cut back that, that tag application or allocation. So it's uh, yeah, they don't, they don't love us coming out there. That's for Which sure. I do. So I do weird. Hear because if you look at the financial impact, like I was looking uh, before we did this interview, like I was researching uh, Pennsylvania hunting licenses, Texas hunting licenses, and you can see the states that have the most gross revenue generated from hunting. And Texas was like uh, $46 million in 2020. And this is just from license sales. Okay. This isn't from like uh, hotels and restaurants and uh, hunting equipment and that kind of stuff. Straight licenses. Um, Texas was, I think, number two after Colorado. Well, Texas was uh, 36 million 
from resident hunting license and like $12 million impact from non-res, Colorado's completely flipped. It was like 12 million from resident hunting tags. And then it was like uh, almost 40 million from, from non-res. So they can tell us the hunters, hmm. like how much they don't want us out there. But at the end of the day, their state wildlife agencies and Wyoming was the same way, Montana, you know, it's like 70, 30. So they depend on us. Yeah. State, their state agencies need us. Uh, that's a $40 million is a lot of money. Yeah. It's, it's hard to get past sometimes people's personal, um, impacts to them, or if they show up to a trailhead and there's more people there than, you know, was there in the past, it's automatic non-residents. They suck. They're the reasons mm -hmm. for this. This is why I didn't kill an elk this year. You know, that, that sort of deal. I mean, I, I get that from having this podcast, I get some, some negative feedback from the Western Western guys, as far as what, uh, about making it easier for people to, to have information on how to uh, obtain tags and plan and stuff, which is, yeah, is, uh, difficult sometimes. No doubt. No doubt. Um, let's do this. Let's knock out our last break here. We'll come back and, uh, discuss plans for this fall and uh, maybe a little bit of whitetail management as well, uh, comparing Texas to Pennsylvania. That segment of the show brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of me for over a decade. You know that because you've heard me talk about them for a long time, and there's a reason for that. They do amazing work with quick turnaround time, and they answer the phone when I call. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. know it's been too long. Forget who's right or who is wrong. Hey guys, Cable here. And last year was a wild year for censorship. It's only continuing in 2022 uh, for us hunters and anglers. So I've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship go wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you it's a free social community not only are your photos not censored they're encouraged imagine that go wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies gear reviews and inviting friends as you earn points you unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards free swag knives huge discounts on brands like garmin and vortex and so many more oh and if you create a free account, you get 10 bucks to the store just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. And I'll see you over there. Right, Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for being here. We're still visiting with uh, the East Meets West Hunt podcast host, Bo Martonic. And we'll get back into that conversation here in just a second. This segment, though, brought to you by NUMA, geared for the outdoors. Here's the crazy thing. Uh, when I think about all of my hunting gear, I don't think anything gets put through the ringer as much as my clothing whether you're crawling around in the south texas brush or uh hopping over deadfall after deadfall on a 
archery elk hunt the gear just i mean it takes a beating and so when a company says they're gonna give a lifetime warranty on their apparel (laughs) nobody does that but numa right it's crazy but that's what they do they guarantee it for life i'm a huge fan and you can find their entire lineup of uh lightweight to midweight to you know like late season heavy duty apparel right there at numaoutdoors.com and save 20% with that promo code lone star 20 when you check out okay uh well bo let's talk about where we're going to be hunting elk this fall i finally built enough points in wyoming i think i had 5 this year and and so that's where i'm headed for the first time for elk i've uh hunted new mexico been lucky to draw there like three or four times wanted colorado over the counter um and then have done uh montana um but i've never hunted wyoming for elk have you no i haven't that's i was just gonna say that's that's a state that's on my list i've been building points in too i haven't i haven't actually applied there yet i've been just Mm -hmm. building points i apply for new mexico every year and i've not drawn at all um but i've been kind of shooting for the sky a little bit with some of the the units and stuff that i've been trying for the gila yeah yeah i'm putting in yeah exactly yeah. i'm putting in for the gila and and, and well, always like, because, why are they talking about the gila on the show well the cat's out of the bag you know it's like yeah everyone it's like, knows point, about. Yeah, it's like 0.2 percent chance mm-hmm. of drawing like yeah everybody knows that but uh and and i've always had like other opportunities that i knew that i i i could basically draw or plan on hunting over the counter like i've hunted colorado three or four times now i've hunted idaho once and this year i drew montana uh, their general tag. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to draw a special unit tag that I've been waiting for. And according to all the draws places, I had hundred percent chance drawing it. And me and three of my buddies put in all separate. We didn't put in as a group because we wanted to have the best odds of being able to draw and none of us drew it. So, really? but we did, we did get the general tag though. So that was, that's positive. Um, it'll be fun to get to hunt a different state in uh, Montana Idaho with, uh, with their changes they made a couple of years ago, um, that really hurt because I only got to hunt that one year and that's where I killed my bull at and wanted mm. to continue to go back to that area. But it's, uh, I haven't been able to pick up a tag since. Yeah. Um, yeah. Idaho had a bunch of leftover, like over the counter tags, uh, at one point, but a uh, buddy that lives there told me that once COVID hit, those things sold out. Like you used to be able to pick them up as the season was going. Like if you just wanted yeah. an extra one, he was like, they sold out the first day because more people wanted to kill their own or, or needed felt like the, you know, number one, they had more time on their hands. Number two, it's like, well, I guess we better get back to this hunting thing that we used to do um, that for life got in the way. We kind of just put it, put it to the side, but yeah, the, um, we've seen definitely an influx of hunters from, from COVID. Um, I don't yeah. know if that's good or bad. I used to always be, oh, the more, the more honors, the merrier we are strength in numbers. But uh, I think some of the messaging out there is recruiting the wrong kind of hunters. And it's kind of opened my eyes up to, if you're still voting this way, yeah, you're a hunter, but the second amendment is absolute. Like I don't, it's, there's no gray area for me. So I don't know if you talk about politics on your podcast, but I, I certainly weighed into that and I don't care. Like, don't, yeah. don't tell me that I'm a hunter, but, uh, you shouldn't shoot a wolf or you shouldn't go to Africa and shoot uh, an elephant. I don't want to hear that. You're not, if you're, if that's the hunter that we're recruiting, then in my opinion, I'd rather just not have them because that's just going to fray the fabric of who we are and what we do. 
Yeah, it's definitely made me reconsider a lot of that same things as far as the more hunters, the better. And then mm -hmm. even some that I've met along the way now that's like, okay, this is, this could be counterintuitive uh, and yeah. being able to, to help us out as, as a whole. Um, and, and then as we start arguing within, you know, within ourselves on specific topics or whether this is good or this isn't, it's, I think we're spiraling down when, when it comes to that aspect. And, and no, I, I traditionally, I don't talk about politics a whole lot on, mm. on my podcast. I know you're, you're very vocal about it and I respect you for, for being able to, for, for doing that. But it's uh, yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about the whole hunter recruitment process and mm. how, how that, that affects, how that affects hunting as a whole and where that's going to take it in the future, I guess. It is a weird thing. Um, we'll see. We'll see how the future unfolds. Um, I wanted to talk just a couple other questions about Pennsylvania and your whitetail hunting culture, mostly tree stands, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly, yeah, it's mostly, um, tree stands or I, I hunt out of a saddle, which same type of, yeah. same type yeah. of hunting. And then, um, and there's also a lot of like ground hunting kind of still hunting style. Um, so basically walking through the woods slowly and peeking over ridges and doing that or set, sitting mm -hmm. on the ground, but mostly, mostly tree stand style. Do you guys do deer drives? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> deer drives are a big part of the, the whole rifle season culture. Um, mm -hmm. it, whether that's for deer, for bear, whatever. So like, I believe the maximum party size for what the party size is the, the group that, that can put on deer drives. You have to have a roster and everyone sign on. I think it's like 20 people. Oh, wow. So yeah, so it's pretty significant size. Um, and, and the reason for like a lot of it is with, uh, everything's so thick and we have, we have a lot of very good forest management with logging and cutting and doing all of that. So it gets, gets thick and that's how they use it to, to push, you know, deer and bear and stuff out of some of those thick areas, which the deer are getting smarter though, uh, as, as they do that, they'll literally lay flat unless you almost step on them sometimes mm -hmm. to get them to, to get them to run out. But if we didn't, if we didn't do deer drive or uh, drives in general for bears, I don't know how anybody would really kill black bears because there's no baiting. There's no hunting with dogs. It's, uh, for well, black you just bears. took out the two best methods of, I know, of, I know of managing I, black bear populations. That's, that's what I'm saying. So it's, it's difficult. And, uh, um, so it's funny because I've been trying to find, I've been trying to find a guest for my podcast to talk about like just like traditional black bear hunting in Pennsylvania that doesn't utilize driving, like figuring out. And I haven't found anybody that I can even interview yet that does it like consistently. And like for me, I've never killed a black bear in Pennsylvania. We have a ton of them. Um, it's just mostly because I haven't, my family isn't real big into bear hunting. So we don't have like a big group of drivers or anything do it. So if I get lucky and see one while I'm deer hunting and the seasons happen to overlap, that would be my only chance of an opportunity. But yeah, yeah de deer drives are definitely a, that's a strong part of the culture here. So that brings up the next question. And I've like being from Texas, our neighbors to the East Louisiana, we always chide them about if it's Brown, it's down. Like we have big deer in Texas because we don't shoot the first thing that walks out, not knocking you. If you do, uh, that's your right. And a trophy is certainly in the eye of, a, of the beholder, whether that's the meat or the horns, everyone's that's open to your own interpretation of what you want. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't, I passed on 
I don't, I didn't even shoot a buck this year. It, I got to the point where there was nothing that interested me on camera and I just made it all about my son. So yeah, I probably passed on 15 legal deer bucks that I'm just like, nah, if it, if it's not a mature deer, I'm just at the point as a hunter where I, I have no interest. I'll, sh- I'll shoot does if I want meat, you know, like, um, but I don't know if you guys are, or, or a, uh, a brown it's down culture or, and I, I'm gonna, and this stems from a conversation. I have a, a buddy who owns a ranch in Texas. He lives here now, but he's from Pennsylvania and he always goes back every fall to hunt with his sons, like opening weekend. And he said when he lived in Pennsylvania, where he started his career and made his money, the talk around the water cooler was, did you get a buck? I got a buck. How big was your buck? It was like only four points, but it was still a buck. Who cares? It's all about filling your buck tag not necessarily like a deer that I would never shoot, you know, but there it's like, all that matters is that it was a buck. Yeah. So it, Pennsylvania had a history of the Brown and Stown culture. 100%. They did put uh, antler point restrictions uh, in, in 2003 and that changed things a lot. And I also think like just even some of the QDMA practices uh, being out there, I think Pennsylvania has changed a lot. I still think there's a lot of, hunters that are still kind of under that mentality of just legal buck um, or like it's got eight points, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's an eight, it's an eight pointer. It doesn't matter the age, it's an eight pointer, but I think it's gotten so much better. I mean, I can definitely see it. And I, I attribute a lot of it to the, the antler point restrictions as well as better forest management. Um, they're doing a really good job with managing the forest, cutting them, giving them a lot of browse, a lot of food, a lot of places for cover, all of those things. And, and the deer are getting older. Um, the, the buck my dad shot last year was eight and a half years old. The uh-huh. one I killed two years ago was eight and a half. The one last year was five and a half. You never saw that before. Like my dad was telling me, you know, and, and um, when he won one of the big buck contests in the early nineties, like it was a, you know, hundred inch eight point that was, you know, a two year old. And that's like, that was an old deer. If they got uh-huh. over a year, you know, a year old, it was a, uh, it, it was a big that's year and, that, and, that, and that's changed so much. I mean, with, yeah, so we're, we're seeing bigger, we're seeing higher quality deer. We're seeing better body sizes. We're seeing older deer. I, I think Pennsylvania is in a really good spot for, for the most part. Um, I've been, yeah, I've been very happy with, with that. There's a lot of controversy around. Um, also they've, they've increased the doe tags in that period too. Um, mm-hmm. which, so the bucket doe ratio, it depends on what part of the state, but, uh, has, has been, has gotten a lot better. And I think that helped out a lot too, with the quality of the hunt, but the deer numbers are down. So people aren't seeing as many and the forests are thick. So like, I mean, I can go three days without seeing a deer, uh, a single deer while sitting in a tree, but you know that if you sit there for a week during the rut, that you have an opportunity to really good deer, most likely. And for me, I, that, I think that's, I think that's a good, um, I think the management practices have been pretty good on that, that aspect. And there's just, they're healthier, they're, mm-hmm. they're older. And, uh, yeah, I think Pennsylvania shifted quite a bit. That's good to hear. And we, we have a similar, uh, well, I mean, we have antler regulations in Texas, I'd say probably 80% of our counties have a, uh, 13 inch minimum inside spread regardless of points, doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's a deer 13 inches wide. Okay. Mm. Well, you know, that's basically, and it's 13 inches on purpose. Cause that's basically the antlers will be outside of his ears. So that's why we have that. And, and I have had deer that I know are five and a half, six and a half years old. 
eight points, huge. And during the rut, they're all their necks are like, you know, can't even wrap your arms around them. Uh, but those deer weren't 13 inches wide. And so they just slipped through the cracks. And there's a lot of people that complain about that. Uh, but by and large, I think antler restrictions have been a, been a good thing and made people be more cognizant of let's try to shoot a mature, a mature deer. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. And that's just, I, I feel like for me too, it's just like where I've gotten to a point as a hunter, as I've, you know, when I first started, you know, up until you're 16, you're allowed to shoot whatever. So you can shoot spikes mm-hmm. and stuff when you're younger. And, and I did, and I'd shot a lot of small bucks and then it just kind of got to a point where it's like, okay, I just kind of keep challenging yeah, myself shoot spikes all day and, here, but <laughs> okay yeah. oh, we can't we can't do that unless it's under three inches i think then it's mm. considered a doe but um it's uh yeah so that it's just kind of grown for me and i just kind of continually just build my own you know my own standards for it here yeah. and and just knowing trail cameras everything else what's out there uh definitely helps i think trail cameras have helped a lot of people sure. sometimes give them false <laughs> false hope. Um, and then others with, uh, you know, being like, all right, if I put in the time, I put in the work, I have an opportunity to, uh, really nice deer. And, and it's, it's funny because like Pennsylvania doesn't always have the biggest antlers, but if you look at like the age standpoint, it's different, you know, there, there can be, um, I've shot bucks that are five, six years old that are 120, 125 inches. And that's Mm -hmm. all the bigger that they would be, but they are getting some bigger ones where like the one my dad shot last year was huge and it was 170 inch uh, whitetail in Pennsylvania. And that's, we're not seeing a lot of those, but we're seeing more of those 140, 150 inch class deer, uh, that you, you a just, they is a hell of a buck anywhere. I mean, Oh yeah. It's yeah. It's, any, any Texas deer hunter would do backflips to have a chance at a 170. Yeah. Uh, I kind of like think for, for us, like a 140 free range whitetail deer is like, that's a pretty damn nice trophy. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. That's, that's, and really for, um, for me in, in Pennsylvania, it's like that 130 mark is like, that's mm-hmm. where I was like, you know, you know, if they're at that age, they're a mature buck and, or if they're at that size, they're a mature buck. And, uh, that's, that's pretty damn good. So that's where I've kind of had my, my standards, I guess. So, yeah. Well, so tell us where folks can find you though. Uh, so if you go on my website, eastmeetswesthunt.com, I just basically have everything there. Um, and then just anywhere you find podcasts, East meets West hunt, social media, just my name, bo.martonic and then, uh, East meets West hunt on there too. So that's just about everywhere you can find me. And how often do you put out a podcast weekly? So I got a weekly show that goes out and then have a bunch of stuff on YouTube that is surrounding scouting mountain whitetails, have some live events that I put on some different things on, on that front as well. Awesome, man. Well, Bo, nice to, to get to finally sit down and, and visit with you. Uh, like I said, I think we're a lot alike and where, where we come from and, and where we like to go each fall. Uh, so hopefully, uh, did you tell us where you're going this, uh, this year? Yeah, oh, Mon- Montana, Montana. Yeah. That's right. So I'll go out for elk and then I'm, I'm probably going to go back out in November with the deer since I got the combo tag. Uh-huh. My brother lives in Montana, so I'm trying to oh, nice. utilize him being out there. I was just out there for bear. I just got back last week and I killed my first black bear. Awesome. Um, so on a mountain hunt there, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm spending all this year in Montana, whenever I can. So I, uh, I went on a black bear hunt in Montana in the mountains, just spot and stock and, um, saw more grizzlies than I did black bear. Really? So I didn't end up, I was only a four day. It was a very quick trip. It was like four days. And, uh, 
yeah, didn't never had an opportunity. We never even glassed up. A, we saw some black bear, but not one that we were like wanted to make a move on or was a sow with cubs or whatever. But yeah, yeah I saw a lot of grizzly bears. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. We just saw yeah. one black bear and it was a um, big boar that, that I ended up shooting on day six. But other than that, it was just a bunch of deer, elk, everything else except for bears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, one other thing to mention because we we're talking about, you know, and you've based your podcast and, and I guess without really thinking about it, I I've done a lot of the same, but on p- people like us that like to go out West and how do you logistically make that happen? One cool thing was, um, you can still put in for New Mexico. And then if you have the points in Wyoming, you can apply for it and defer if you draw. So like, uh, if I would have drawn New Mexico, I could have still said, no, actually I want to, I could have gone back and like, uh, said to Wyoming fishing game. No, I actually don't want to burn my points, which uh, I didn't even know about until this year. So that was uh, yeah. just a little extra piece of information for anybody uh, that is putting in for Western tags, but Bo, Hey, good stuff, man. Good luck in Montana. Have a great uh, summer and I look forward to uh, seeing your adventures on social media. Yeah. Yeah. Good Especially luck in go Wyoming wild. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Look, uh, look forward to uh, seeing how you do in Wyoming as well. All right, brother. Take care. All right. We'll see you. So there you have it. Bo Martonic of the East meets West hunt podcast, uh, kind of a kindred spirit. Our, our hunting trajectories kind of mirror each other's as whitetail hunters who I never would say got bored with whitetail deer. Cause that would be a lie, but just wanted to expand our horizons, but, uh, hailing from parts of the country where that's not reality. So anyway, check out his podcast. Seems like a hell of a nice guy. Uh, And thanks again to Go Wild for putting that together for us. Um, Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Bo. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, Cable Smith saying happy birthday, America. And y'all have a great 4th of July.